It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio. Flavored with a dash of humor. Welcome to intelligent, irreverent talk about plants and the planet they grow on. Your questions, comments, and participation are always welcome on Facebook and Instagram at The Mike Novak Show and at Mike Now on Twitter. Good planets, hard to find. Temperate zones and tropic climes. And true currents and thriving seas. Wind blowing through breathing trees. Strong ozone and safe sunshine. Well, good planets are hard to find. Good planets are in the main. Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Jet streams, perfect air. And here they are, Peggy Malecki and Mike Nova. Good planets are in the Right. Good morning. And, Good morning. Uh, uh, and Bruce says we're competing with the NFL this morning. What? Oh, Why yeah, because the they're, the I believe they're playing in London. Um, so who's watching that? I know. Nobody cares, Bruce. Uh, just <laughs> telling you, if you want to go watch the NFL, go, 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 go watch and, the and NFL. Dan says he hears us fine on YouTube. Yes, thank you, Dan. All right, great. So uh, make sure we're we're all there. I mean, this is uh, are we, are we good? Okay, Kathleen's saying we're good. See, this is hey everyone, welcome. This is a radio show. Yeah, yeah no, it's live. It's you know this is what we do. We stream live, and and half the time we don't know whether it's going anywhere. So uh, I live in mortal fear of Kathleen walking through those doors over there when I'm when I'm doing this because uh, oh, okay. it, it it means one of two things. Uh, either she's come to warm up my coffee, which I really appreciate, and thank you for that when you do that, Kathleen, or it means something technical bad is happening, and uh, she's come down to tell me that uh, we're uh, we're being heard on Jupiter, but we're not being heard in Skokie. And our pictures are upside down, yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, or, or your camera isn't working on your uh, uh, computer, but your microphone is. It's all that matters. Um, yeah, it's actually my uh, system microphone. Go figure. I don't know. We'll deal with it later. Oh, wait. Your your other microphone isn't on? No, no, because I have to have the external camera plugged in. All right. So that means I think I'm going to boost you just a little <laughs> bit here. I hey, didn't... folks, just go fill your coffee while we're sorting this out. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I've only been tweaking this for the last half hour anyway, trying to make everything oh, work. And... Good grief. I only rebooted my computer how many times? Whatever. Um, Anyways, and, we and... have some wonderful guests waiting in the wings, and they don't need to listen to this. Uh, oh, yes, they do. Uh, it's part of the show. Uh, and I've got the the, uh, the Robin here, so that's... Uh... Oh, wait a second. Uh-oh. We're going to have competing animals. Okay, there we go. Uh, welcome to the show, everybody. Um, we can, oh, so Bruce is going to do both. He's going to watch the football game. Thanks, Bruce. Just uh, just turn the sound down on the football game, all right? Just, just get it out of there. Um, and uh, we do have a great show today. Uh, some wonderful guests. We're talking some gardening, 
um, and uh, uh, the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards winners are here. We're going to show some videos. We're going to have some photographs. Those of you listening on the podcast, you know, you need to go to our YouTube page, in which... and it's time to change the open to the show too, because we really focus now on on YouTube and getting the uh, signal out to YouTube. And we hope folks uh, go to the Mike Novak Show on YouTube and sign up for our channel. Uh, subscribe to the channel; it's really easy to do. And uh, uh, and watch us there. So if you're listening on a podcast, uh, we love folks who listen because a lot of lot of folks do listen on the podcast, and it goes out various places like WRWO Radio in Ottawa. It goes out to Lumpen Radio in Chicago, and that is so piercing. That thing is just so piercing. There you go. That's better. Like that. Um, and uh, and I was just listening to Lumpen Radio this morning at eight a.m. Sundays. That's when our show How did aired. Sound? Um, we sounded wonderful, um, and it was our tour of the uh, the um, animal sanctuaries. And what kind of owl is that? It's a snowy owl. It's a snowy. Well, yeah, of course, it's it's very white. So uh, those are the various ways you can hear the show. So you know what? We should just. I should just stop yammering here. Yep. And, and while you're doing that, we'll say good morning to Zan. Good morning, Skeet. Good morning to Sue. Who else have we not said good morning to? Diana, who writes, quote, we do not inherit the earth from our ancestors. We borrow it from our children. A proverb of unknown origin. I like that. I like that right. a lot. Right. And with that, let us bring in all of our guests. And you can see we have a ton of people on the show. So that means... Peggy and I are, are in our little boxes up on the upper left-hand corner. Uh, and I hope that, uh, and let me check just to make sure that, because I just set it up just before the show. Looks like all the microphones went on. How about that? I'm, I'm amazed at my own prowess uh, here. Uh, you get a ding. Yes. Uh, uh, on our right uh, is Renee Lyles from the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. Uh, in lower left is Akila Muhammad, uh, and the Muhammads have uh, a garden out in Bolingbrook, Illinois. They've done a sustainable landscape. We'll talk about that. And the two people um, on the right of the screen are Vicki Rosich, and uh, and I, I can almost uh, you know I'm I, it, it's my cheaters really don't help me very much. Uh, and Jean are better, and you'd think I would have memorized their names by now because I've been talking to, to them for a, a couple of days. But it's it's all it's all trying to get into into my brain. Welcome everybody to the show this morning. Welcome, thank you, thank you. Uh, and uh, these are all people who are doing different kinds of gardening. I'm I'm very excited about the way it, it turned out, so that. Uh, we uh, have various gardens represented. As you know, Peggy and I uh, are just a couple of the people behind the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Uh, we have uh, organizations like the uh, like Illinois Extension, Cook County, uh, and um, I'm not going to remember. We've got any, Shed Aquarium, uh, Advocate for uh, Agriculture. The Forest Preserve District of Cook County, the Park District, um, Flower and Garden Show. <clears throat> Uh, and and others uh, who have oh uh, Chicago Community Gardening Association uh, a, a lot of folks who have uh, helped us with this 
Um, and this was our, actually, we started in 2017. This was the fifth year. I, I learned something yesterday that I did not know, that in various incarnations, the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden has won five years in a row. I think you guys are the only ones who have made the cut for five years. So, Renee, congratulations to you. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> That's uh, exciting. And as you know, we started this in 2017. The, uh, the idea was to pick up where the city of Chicago left off. They discontinued the garden, uh, the mayor's landscape awards is what they called them, uh, gardening awards in the city for no reason other than they could. Uh, thank you, Rahm Emanuel, for dropping the ball. Um, and uh, so we got angry. I got angry. And I said, if they won't do it, we'll do it ourselves. Um, and that's always a bad thing to do things in anger because then suddenly you're, you're wielding or running an unwieldy organization um, and, and going out and uh, judging gardens uh, all over the city of Chicago. And we did that for three years. And then, of course, a pandemic hit. Uh, and last year we said, well, we're not going to be out in people's gardens because nobody knew if it was safe. We know now that it is much safer to be outside than it is to be indoors. Um, and uh, so last year we started the 60-second garden video challenge where we had people do one-minute videos and send them to us. Um, and, uh, and then we continued it into this year because at the beginning of this year we really weren't sure again. Uh, how things were going to go, how the vaccinations were going to roll out. I suspect next year we're going to be back in people's yards uh, uh, judging gardens in person, and I, for one, am really looking forward to that. But meanwhile, we've had these wonderful folks who have sent us their videos, and these are some of the winners this year. Um, and I, I'm going to start in the lower right um, with uh, Jean and Vicki, who are from the Imperial Towers um, Community Garden. And let's bring you guys in here um, and tell us a little bit. Gene, I'm going to have you start off. Tell us a little bit about the Imperial Towers uh, Community Garden. Well, Community Garden started two years ago. And then last year we had nothing going on, as you mentioned already. Uh, Vicki and her husband... Jim and I and my wife, Martha, have the uh, good fortune of living in a mid-century modern 29-story Twin Towers high-rise on Marine Drive overlooking Montrose Harbor. Uh, it was built in the early 60s. Uh, it's one of many. Its unique feature that I always loved is that if you look, if you look up and down Lakeshore Drive, virtually every building is smack up against the sidewalk. We have a setback and a front yard that's almost as gorgeous as our garden. Um, the building has, we have a what's called a rooftop garden, mm -hmm. uh, although it's not above the 29th floor, it's on the second floor. Oh, I'm sorry, that's my fault. I didn't realize your mic was going to go off when I uh, did that. I apologize. Uh, keep talking there, Gene. So there's a picture of our lovely garden. Um, what wound up happening, uh, when, when I landed in our building, when my wife and I landed in our building 20 years ago, I walked the area and there was this piece of concrete, several hundred square feet, that was just kind of laying there in the northwest corner doing nothing. And I looked mm -hmm. at it and said, hmm, how about a community garden? Uh, flash forward about 15 years and we started the conversation. Um, our, our board of directors, which is usually pretty protective of common elements, 
uh, got on board. Uh, I am actually a condo board member, which I guess speaks to my sanity a little bit, but <laughs> so be it. Um, there's a nice shot of the garden as well from the air. Um, and I got to show you got, this one. I, I have to show you this one because these two go together. That is a summer photo. And look at this. This is the winter photo. That, that, that's just remarkable, the, the way you guys covered everything. So we, we actually got uh, board approval to proceed with the concept. Because it's not on grade, uh, mm-hmm. but on an elevated concrete deck, we needed to have a load. Oh, boy. And and I'm fine. Hold on. Uh, that's my fault again. I don't know why this is happening, but uh, when I change the... Uh, technology morning. That's, yeah, it is technology morning. Yeah. But, okay, talk about the, the, uh, the weight-bearing part of this. So there was concern for, you know, 35 four-by-four plots, uh, not quite or about a foot and a half deep, um, and the load that that would place on the deck. Uh, the advantage here is that we hooked up with a brilliant young botanist, uh, Mike Repkin, who some of you may know uh, from Urban Habitat Chicago and connected with Omni Ecosystems, who has a, a medium that weighs, I think, something like a third or a fourth of what regular filling would weigh. Wow. Um, so the load study showed that we were okay under any circumstances, which was nice. Um, mm-hmm. but we did wind up with this lightweight, high capacity, room for lots of rootlets, water retaining, kind of miracle grow item, not to say <laughs> miracle grow. Right. Um, miraculous but, grow. Uh, miraculous grow. Totally miraculous <laughs> grow. And you and you can plant plant things with your fingers. I mean, you don't need tools or trowels. It's just very easy to work with. Mm -hmm. Uh, The results will be shown in some of the films and and, uh, pictures. And I would imagine that would encourage other gardeners as well, the easier it is to do. It is. We had, we we offered up uh, 34 of the 35 plots the first year. We kept one as kind of a community plot that we wound up planting as a group effort. Uh, they filled up pretty fast. We wound up with garden. We're, we're in a building, as I mentioned, it's, you know, 29 stories, two towers, 862 apartments, about 1,500 people. Hmm. We have 35 plots now. We have about 54 gardeners. Uh, some are couples, some are shared, then live in different units. Uh, so it worked out well. This year we had a, a little bit of attrition. Some people left, some people moved. There were people to fill in the spots almost immediately. And it's a, an exciting thing. Initially, we were hoping that we would get enough to sustain. And we did fill up the first and second seasons, which was nine, 2019 and this year. Uh, hey. Vicki and I have been co-chairs of the committee that puts this together. I was kind of the structure and get stuff past the board guy. Vicki is, as I've said umpteen times in meetings, the heart of this whole thing. Uh, and a much better gardener than I, although we did have our first year, Martha and I had, we got kind of the daikon that ate Chicago. I mean, it was amazing. It came up out of our garden. Uh, it, looked like a, it looked like a big pale zucchini. Um, and then this year we just decided to go easy and threw out some prairie seeds and mm-hmm. had just a little batch of four by four flowery things just for fun. Yeah, you have um, uh, you had a very beautiful garden. I'll show a, f- a photo of that in, in a little bit. But what's interesting when I've talked to both of you recently, um, Vicky says, "Well, we couldn't have done it without Gene," and Gene says, "Oh, we couldn't have done it without Vicky." So th- <laughs> uh, it, it's kind of the way this is going. So uh, what I would like to do, 
um, is show the video uh, since uh, this Great. is the the point of yeah. of all of this. Uh, we will show your video, and then we come back. Uh, Vicky, you can explain a little bit about uh, about what we're seeing here. The Imperial Towers Community Garden is a collective effort to enhance the natural beauty of our concrete urban setting for the enjoyment of its residents. This will be achieved through the individual plots and community growing spaces with the purpose to bring fresh produce, herbs, and flowers, as well as learning opportunities to its gardeners and those who would like to participate. This will foster personal connections and additional garden space for all residents to enjoy through active gardening or peaceful observation. In the community garden, a rainbow has bloomed in a space once devoid of life. The garden has brought nature, color, and a sense of community to this space. That's I'll say a lot for one, one thing is that we were fortunate. We didn't plant the ivy wall, which kind of rivals mm -hmm. Wrigley Field, but it was just there for us. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so that north, that, north, that north wall is just covered with ivy, and it's been just a wonderful addition to the whole thing. And you have a seating area there, too, so that's, that's nice for, for the we residences. Have, Three benches, which were actually donated uh, as memorials uh, to three different sets of people. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just wonderful. I mean, as I say, 54 gardeners are in there, in and out of there a lot. Uh, we had an awful lot of uh, wonderful, admiring traffic from the residents of the building and their guests this year as well. And you, you can you can see uh, the the benches there and. Uh, uh, it's it's a it's a lot, and you accent uh, things uh, with with a lot of uh, containers there. Mm -hmm. So, Vicky, tell me about uh, what is it? Uh, had did you have a lot of natural gardeners there, or did uh, you have to provide instruction? How 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 did this work? Because you've only done this for two years, and it's pretty remarkable. For you know, it's it's interesting. Gene talked about it's fifteen years in the making, and then you do first year, and then you get wiped out by uh, the COVID. You, you weren't doing anything, and now you come back for the second year, and it looks gorgeous. Well, at the first year, we have about at least half the people here who are gardening that have never gardened before. They've lived in, we have some people who are gardeners who've lived in the building since the early 60s when it was built or 20 years, 15 years. So not had a natural yard. Mm -hmm. So we provided, Mike came and did a lot of training and actually met with each individual person the first year and asked them what they wanted to grow and actually helped them map out their little four by four area because you can grow things a lot closer together. So traditionally counting six or 12 inches wasn't necessary to, to be able to not get the roots to stick together. So we had a lot of educational opportunities the first year where we talked about growing. We met out on the deck as a group on uh, every Sunday in May and early June, Mike would come and many of us would be down there and we would help each other. And I really loved the the feeling of everyone going over and talking about how to help someone get started. Or when one of our gardeners had a watermelon growing, we would all go over like proud parents and stand over the plot <laughs> and speak up. 
uh, it, in this particular plot that you're showing, uh, those are avid gardeners. They have a lot of very interesting flowers, some from Korea, some cooking, like a cooking vegetable um, herb garden. And mm-hmm. so some of our more seasoned gardeners would just naturally gravitate. But what was really special was it really defies all demographics. There's no, there's lots of different ages from from super young, first time condo purchaser or renter to our more seasoned adults who are retired. And so everybody just talks to each other. There's a common element. We also have a deck crew, which helps to sweep and maintain the area. Um, We maintain our area ourselves. So with sweeping and using natural products or just picking weeds, um, helping each other if we go on vacation to water, Really, the building provides for us a water source and a hose, and we pretty much self-fund and um, continue the rest of it. And the bench area, I think the, the one of the most rewarding things for me is when I see um, adults come down perhaps with their physical therapists or our very elderly residents in wheelchairs. It's literally our boxes are ADA accessible so someone can have their caregiver wheel them through in their wheelchair and they can admire it and they can touch some of the flowers or herbs and then smell mm-hmm. their fingers to get that fragrance yeah. that perhaps they don't have a garden anymore. So it's it's very good for mental health, tranquility, physical activity, just the enjoyment of kind of discovering what works and what doesn't. And being that it's extremely windy up there and there's only partial sun, um, it's blocked from about 7 in the morning till about 11 just mm. because of the way the sun goes around the building. We get a good 6 to 8 hours of full sun in the in the summer. But to learn what to grow in a semi-arid, extremely windy, almost oceanside type environment where it's yeah. sideways and can be pretty harsh at times. You know, it's uh, it's it's one of those uh, situations. Uh, I I have described this in the past uh, in talking to people, and I say, um, you read in the books all the time about what uh, growing in dappled shade, but. When you get three flat shade or 20, 20 story shade, um, it's Wind, a di- and windy shade and yes. windy, yeah. So you have very extreme microclimates right there in uh, that one little area, which is is very interesting, and it, it makes it a challenge, I'm sure, to grow things early in the season and late in the season because of the lack of sun. So you're probably you've probably lost a lot of sun right now at this time of year because I certainly do in my own yard. Because um, I have a northern exposure, and uh, I lose a, a lot of the sun at this time of year. So when we talk about growing things in, in say, row covers over the winter, well, there's not going to be any sun. Um, so what's the point of that, really? Uh, so it's something I need to learn. Yes, Peggy. So we also have a question for Vicki from Sue, who's watching, about okay. uh, she's wondering if you harvest seeds. For next year's some garden. of the gardeners do, yes. Some of the gardeners do. Uh, we actually had a little seed library when we could meet in person. And so when we would have some of our training meetings the first year, people could trade, swap, or get seeds. Um, met- because it's so cold, it's much colder here by the lake than even, say, if I go a little bit west of Broadway or Clark, mm-hmm. uh, we find that our season doesn't really get warm enough till even June 1st for some things. It really has to be a pretty hearty 
crop in yeah. in May. So um, a lot of people do start from seedlings, especially as they're learning. But we do have about half that start from seeds. And I was going to mention we have a fair number of flowers, too. So we have a good mix of flowers and also growing edible things. And then people are encouraged to decorate. Uh, we did have to do some netting because there was we thought we had tomato thieves and what it actually was, was a persistent squirrel that I caught <laughs> sitting on a deck box with a, a tomato in his mouth, chomping on it like an apple. So to protect against the persistent squirrel, we had to do some netting around some of the tomatoes. Oh, I, I love that cartoon persistent squirrel. Uh, used to watch that all the time. Uh, let me just show, I found the, the, the shot right here. This is, uh, of uh, of Jean's garden, and I just love uh, the wildflowers. It's a it's oh, really it's so beautiful, Jean. It's it's very quite quite lovely. Uh, all right, well, um, thank you for for getting us off to a, a good start. Now uh, I want to go to Bolingbrook, Illinois, and in the lower left, Kyla Muhammad. She and her her uh, uh, husband Rashid. Um, and what is your son's name, Kyla? Um, so I have. Two sons. Oh, but, two uh, sons. All right. Yes, uh, both Saeed and Hassan. But Saeed is the one um, that submitted the the photo for the Wild Ones contest that he won. For yeah, category. I guess we should probably let's find that since uh, you're mentioning it's a really wonderful photo. Here it is. Um, and and tell us about that. Oh, and I don't know why these mics are popping off like this when I go to. This is a, a challenge for me today. So hang on a second. I'll find this. All right. Now you can tell us about it. Okay. So one of the things that I think is really important for my family in terms of, you know, one of the things we wanted to accomplish in doing our garden and yard redesign is really trying to help our children reconnect uh, with nature and, you know, foster a deeper connection through observation and interaction. So after we installed uh, a few different pollinator gardens in our yard, we started getting all sorts of monarchs because of the milkweed that we planted, as well as, you know, a number of uh, other butterflies and uh, hummingbird moths and things like that. And so we knew that the wild ones has an annual photo competition and they have a category for photos for kids. So I encouraged my son as part of just, you know, interacting with these natural spaces. You know, I think photography is a great way for them to, you know, be more observant and, and see the, the different things that maybe they wouldn't normally see. So he really kind of honed in on the monarch. You know, we all love the monarch butterfly. It's beautiful. And he just was being very patient. And, you know, he saw it on the, the swamp milkweed. And he just kind mm -hmm. of, you know, took his time. <laughs> and he, he got that that photo. So that uh, photo is very similar to the, the one that he just won first place in the wild ones photo so that, that's not even the same photo but that's that's a wonderful uh photo that uh your your son took there and and you said you're a little jealous yourself 
Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I tried to get, you know, a, a really good close-up photo of the Monarch too. I was kind of chasing them around and trying to be, you know, still and, and get that shot. But I nothing I got was, was even close to, to that nice of a photo. So I'm very proud of his photography skills. All right. Let's take a, a quick look at your video entry, and then we'll have to do a quick break. But I want to uh, show folks uh, what you put together. There's no uh, music soundtrack. There's no it's just some natural sounds in here so we'll, well just and, and i just wanted to comment on that just really quickly um, okay i decided not to put music in it just because i also too wanted some of those sounds of nature to to come through because i think that's another way to to interact with it all right let's take a look Ah, fabulous, Kyla. Beautiful. Well done. Well done. And um, before we break here, I want to mention that you were recognized uh, by the Conservation at Home program uh, through the Conservation Foundation of DuPage County. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. How did you get involved with them? So um, Conservation at Home that program was actually on my radar even before we decided to do our yard renovation. The the video that you just saw, we back 18 months ago, so in March of 2020, is really when we decided to just take our very you know traditional front and backyard and just kind of start over and renovate it to try to make a, a much more sustainable and um, highly edible. Um, habitat. So Conservation at Home is a, is a program that is that certifies homeowners' landscapes for making environmentally friendly choices. And so I was already familiar with things like, you know, installing native plants and having rain barrels or doing things to help conserve water and, and installing pollinator habitats and things like that. And so those are some of the things that we were very mindful of in our, our design. We wanted to take a very holistic approach uh, in the design so that it would benefit not only us more in terms of highly edible foods, but also really benefit the ecosystem and wildlife as well. Yeah. All right. And I know we've got to take uh, a break, but I, I, when we get back, I'd love to talk more about your, your um, fruit tree and your edible shrub section. Yes. All, all right. Uh, and we will come back to all of our wonderful guests uh, uh, celebrating gardeners. Oh, thank you for holding. I'm glad you've got the sign there. Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki, and we will be right back. Bye. 
have the ability to give your soil a superpower. It's called composting. If you don't have a backyard, you need to contact Collected Resource Compost. CRC has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. They bring you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter from your kitchen, they swap it out and get it to a commercial composting operation. Fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. The pandemic has tested all of us as we've learned to live, work, and interact differently. Whether or not you've gotten sick, we must strengthen our immunity and our resolve to defeat COVID. The COVID vaccines offer a safe and effective way to keep you, your family, and your colleagues safe. So please, ask the questions. Follow the science. Get vaccinated. And I hope we don't have to say that uh, too much. Let's just do it, folks. Get get vaccinated if we're going to get out of this. If if Peggy and I and our uh, colleagues are going to be able to go to gardens in person next year, uh, you you all need to get vaccinated. So uh, just just do it. And don't think about it. Just do it. Uh, welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. We're talking to some winners of the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Award 62nd Garden Video Challenge. Before we move on from Kyla to uh, Renee uh, Lyles, um, uh, Kyla, I, I, I'm impressed by the way you took a what is it sort of a typical suburban home and transformed it and you mentioned some of the things in the video which is get rid of as much lawn as you possibly can uh my my philosophy on that is when in doubt rip it out um and then you had some flooding and water issues in the back of your property you mentioned yeah and so you you got creative with those didn't you Yes, absolutely. You know, I think the the most important thing when you're first going to when you decide that you're going to renovate your yard, you need need to really observe and pay attention to, you know, where where's the sunlight, you know, shining and and uh, what's like the best area for if you're going to be growing your your annual um, vegetables and you need to pay attention to where's the, the water pooling and which areas are dry and things like that. And so. We definitely were paying attention to all those different factors in mm-hmm. the design that we came up with. And we uh, very much had a, a flooding issue in our backyard, particularly in the springtime. You'd get those torrential rains and it would all pool um, in that back corner. You can actually see, um, if you kind of look to the back there, that area in the back of the photo is actually where a lot of the water used to pool. So we installed a pretty large rain garden with a, a number of native plants back there to help absorb that extra water. The native plants have extra long roots. And so over time, as they continue to mature, they're going to really kind of be that sponge to help soak it up. And then we also installed um, a dry creek bed kind of along the edge to also help help capture some of that. This is a, a close-up of the backyard rain garden in full bloom with uh, the swamp mallow and swamp milkweed and blazing star. Hold on. Sorry. That was, I, 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 I apologize for this. I'm just, I just have no idea why this is glitching this way today, but go ahead with the uh, plants you had in your rain garden. Oh, sure. I was just saying that uh, this is a, a, that was a shot of the swamp 
mallow as well as well as the swamp milkweed and blazing star that were in full bloom at the time so uh, we've been very pleased with it so far we've already seen a tremendous difference in when we get those torrential rains it's 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 soaking it right up which is what we were hoping for so that that has been great yeah Fantastic. Well, uh, congratulations. It's a, it looks like a, a wonderful place, and uh, there's much more to come. I mean, you know, obviously this is still um, early on. It's yeah. like uh, like at uh, Imperial Towers. Uh, you're just a, f- a couple of years into this, right? Right, right. Yeah, and, and like I said, we pretty much we, we did everything um, starting just in, in March of last year, so everything is still pretty new and, and getting established, so we're very pleased so far with the growth we've seen. I was, I was just going to um, answer Peggy's question a little bit about the, the fruit hedge. Um, we've, we've, we've incorporated a bunch of perennial, um, both perennial vegetables as well as uh, edible uh, shrubs and trees. So we had, we installed apple trees as well as like gooseberry and uh, currant and honeyberry, all sorts of different things. So it'll be less work for us, you know, down the road to, to yeah. get the harvest off of those things without having to continue to, to replant. And, and you removed, um, because you have a couple of longer videos on the Conservation at Home site, and this is what I'm yes. referring to. Um, you removed a lot of just old shrub plantings at the foundations in order yes. to put a lot. Yeah, yeah. We, we had like 40-year-old overgrown yew bushes that were kind of you know lining the, the front of our house and so we're like, wait 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 that's valuable landscaping what do you think you're doing <laughs> so, so, right, so we're just like what can we what can we do to make this much more productive i know we could put in you know all sorts of berries and fruits and um and you know uh we put in aronia berry which is also a good native one that you could that's that's edible so we we kind of turned it from sort of a which is uh that's uh chokeberry Yep, chokeberry. Choke I try berry. to avoid the chokeberry because then everyone's just like, "Why is it called chokeberry?" <laughs> I, I I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's because, it's because it's it's pretty tart. But um, yeah, we've got I've got uh, you know I just think it's wonderful that I wish more people would take advantage of uh, the native berries and shrubs. I think the shrubs are are, are the least uh, recognized plants um in in a native garden um still people have the traditional yews as you say and the burning bushes and you know junipers we we can do better we can do much better than that all right well we need we need to get to renee here because uh, she's patiently uh sitting by and what i like about this conversation here today and and at the very end we'll have a little bit of a free-for-all um is that we have so many different kinds of gardens. We have Kyla, who's just a family doing their thing. We have the the community garden at uh, Imperial Towers. And now we have the teaching garden at uh, at UIC. Uh, Renee, how did that come to, to be? Uh, well, uh, it started back in 2016, um, and it is... Uh, an extension of the Department of Kinesiology and Nutrition at UIC. Um, I manage the foods lab in the uh, nutrition part of the department, and it's really an outdoor classroom space that uh, students go to and just down the down uh, the stairs from our foods lab, and they learn how to harvest, um, grow, and uh, 
uh, cook the produce and the herbs that we grow in the gardens. We really treat it like a classroom um, and students have access to this uh, when they take uh, the classes uh, that our, our department offers. Um, so we kind of uh, started to during the pandemic, uh, you know, obviously everyone was remote. Uh, so we did a lot of filming of the garden and, you know, kind of doing more pre-recorded uh, lessons on, on gardening and cooking. And we found that this was, uh, you know, a great way to kind of capture what we do each season and then make it more accessible uh, to a, a wider uh, audience. Um, but during that time, we found that students not being on campus, we had all of this extra produce that we were accumulating. So uh, one of our priorities at UIC is to have an impact on our community and to, you know, reach our the, the surrounding community um, in Chicago. And uh, so we partnered with Grace Seeds Ministry and uh, began to do regular donations to mm -hmm. local food pantries um, in the area. So the garden has changed uh, from uh, what it what it started as. I think we've uh, been able to expand and the, and the pandemic kind of forced us to do that. Uh, so that's exciting. It's six years yeah. old now. So. Well, you know, but it, the, the pandemic shaped so many different things uh, and continues to shape not just in the growing in the food world, but the everything in our lives, but especially uh, in growing and food. And um, so many people took to gardening. Uh, you, you can look at Kyla and what they did in their yard during the pandemic. Um, and uh, uh, that's that happened to me. My garden looked better last year than it ever has. It certainly doesn't look <laughs> as good this year. Um, so I, I think we should show your video uh, so folks can get uh, a better idea of the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. So here we go. Welcome to the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden. When students visit this garden, they uncover a balanced ecosystem where its healthy soil supports the life of plants, insects, bacteria, wildlife, and subsequently us. In the human nutrition cooking courses offered here at UIC, students will play the role of an active participant in this urban growing experiment. They learn that the food production cycle begins with proper soil care. Students contribute to the health of the soil by setting aside their compostable kitchen scraps, thereby returning nutrients to this closed-loop model for better soil care and subsequent food production. From there, our worms do the rest of the work, turning plant refuse and garden trimmings into castings for improved soil conditions. We must act as more than consumers, and discovering and bolstering this relationship between ourselves and the earth will advance health and well-being for all. And there you have it. Congratulations uh, on that. Um, my question to you about the garden, Renee, is uh, who's keeping it uh, together? Who who does most of the work in the garden? Because it's, uh, you know, I know how these things work in schools, especially when students are not in session um, it falls upon people like you, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I think it's important to have kind of one person who really is, you know, responsible um, for the garden. Um, but I have a lot of really great help. I have a teaching assistant. Uh, we had a, a summer employee. Um, and then I have students who volunteer. So every Friday I host volunteer days uh, and we have a listserv of students uh, from all over campus, not just our department uh, that want to get involved. Um, so I think it is important to have one person who kind of is, you know, managing, um, but then, you know, 
offer opportunities and kind of set up structured time uh, where people in you know your community can come and uh, participate and help. And really, that's how I get a lot of the work done. I, I have to show. I have so to show to all my volunteers. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad, and and you get them do, and they'll show up even when class is not in session. Yeah, they truly do, and you know they're able to harvest and uh, you know take things home. I always encourage them to you know tell me what they're cooking for the weekend, post it on Instagram, and, and tag the garden. Um, you know, cooking is certainly a very important part of this garden. That's one of the big reasons that we have it, and so. Um, you know, we're teaching those cooking skills in the foods lab. And so it's always nice when students can translate that into their home setting um, and, you know, having extra produce at the end of a, a, an afternoon of working in the garden is just a nice. Well, I have to show this photo because I love this photo. This is, uh, I was, I wanted to use this for my blog post, but the way the photo is constructed, I couldn't because um, uh, I would have had to uh, crop too it tough. too much, you know, because oh. it's, you have to see the whole thing, the mirror at the top reflecting. And, and that's so you can teach. That's that's how you teach with the mirror. So the, the students can watch what's going on on the counter. Right. But that is that's a wonderful photograph. Yeah, I didn't actually take that. Uh, the credit goes to Joshua Clark. He's a UAC uh, photographer. So thanks, Josh, uh, oh, <laughs> for doing that. Sure. <laughs> so. And um, and it's just good to see uh, all the other uh, folks uh, out in the garden and uh, learning about not just how to cook things, but how to grow them as well. Yeah, right, right. It's bo- both important components are, are really emphasized with this outdoor classroom. Fa- so what- what do you find that students like the most about having those gardens and participating in it? Um, well, I think one part that we've found from the pandemic is it's so important for community engagement, like engaging with uh, you know the other students at UAC. I think a lot of students really benefit from being in a classroom with others and they learn from others' mistakes, you know, in addition to their own and from their successes. So uh, while it's nice to, you know, have a, a teacher or instructor available, they really truly learn a lot just by working uh, together on things. You know, they have conversations on the side and, um, you know, kind of share uh, other knowledge uh, that they that they might have uh, about food um, because everybody brings, you know, something uh, to the table uh, about food or, uh, you know, we all, we all consume food. So, so everybody has, uh, you know, something to contribute to that. Well, um, uh, and, and, then, and, I, and then I just think spending time in the garden and, you know, getting outside of a classroom and, um, you know, not in front of a laptop and kind of having that uh, uh, kinesthetic uh, experience where you're touching, uh, you know, the, the soil and the produce. Did, did I read and somewhere? Yeah. Yeah. Did I read somewhere that, in fact, during a class, uh, some students might go out for five minutes at a time into the garden and come back? Oh, with- every class. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. so they're going. Yeah, so they're given a recipe at the beginning of a a cooking class, and then they go down to the garden with a a list of things to harvest. Yeah. All right. Well, that that is just um, wonderful. And now we get to open it up to uh, everybody. And first of all, thank you all uh, for the wonderful contributions and uh, the videos. Congratulations to you, and thank you for supporting uh, Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards. Um, what I want to talk about right now is, uh, and if we've got any questions, Peggy, uh, from the chat room, let us know. Uh, it's an opportunity at the moment, but, uh, but, uh, my question is, 
what kind of a garden year was it? We had it was very um it was very interesting. It's been a dry year for the most part. Um I know uh, Kyla you and I talked about the uh, lurching from uh the dry to the heavy rains. I had two and a half I I had more than 3 inches of rain in my yard this week. This past week we'll talk to our our meteorologist Rick DeMaio about that uh, a little later on and that um it it stresses plants w- when they're dry um what how how did everybody uh feel about uh coming out of uh this this growing year I can start. Uh, One thing that we noticed was we do have a water source. We have a hose. So people had to go down more often to water their garden box, sometimes even twice a day, particularly if it was really windy and arid. Then again, it stresses out the leaves. So they'll, but our, our medium is really quick draining. But we found that it's sitting last year was actually good because all the soil mulched. So when we took the covers off, it was like a Christmas present because <laughs> things were coming back. And so many of us had never gardened. It was it was like Christmas morning. It was a surprise, like, oh, my gosh, that came back. And then learning about perennials and learning about what came back. And the soil was much more rich because it did sit there for a year so we found that it was extremely lush uh, in in our garden. Well, and 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 you make a really really good point to start, which is when you're when you're uh, growing in containers, they're much more vulnerable to uh, to uh, dryness. Especially wood ones, because it, it everything just drains right through. It doesn't hold uh, like regular soil in the ground, and the temperature changes a lot more too because the boxes are uh open to the air uh gene you yeah i see you have your hand up go ahead i just want i i wanted to number one thank you for the the compliment a couple of times about how how in only two years we had this kind of miraculous space and what i would offer is if you saw the a set of pictures from the first season and this season they're indistinguishable. Our, our garden, because of the design, because of Mike's input, because of the medium, even with a bunch of novices, was lush midsummer, just right out of the box. And we hit the ground running the very first year. So this feels like a little bit old hat. It's more <laughs> challenging with the drought. Um, required more attention, more watering. But I, I think some of the pictures I may have sent you were from la- from the first year in 2019. And it, once things were up and growing, you couldn't really tell the two seasons apart. So we were very fortunate to have a design, a layout, a medium, the support, as Vicki mentioned, from a, again, brilliant botanist uh, to, to sustain this thing. But it was it was there first year. Uh, and and uh, I'm glad you you mentioned Mike Repkin uh, again. Um, he is a friend of the show. He hasn't been on the program in years, so I, I think it's time to uh, to bring him back. I, he's certain. I, I can see Peggy writing right now. It's going to go right on the list, and we'll be talking about this and say, "Well, we got to have Mike." Uh, yeah, and uh, we have we have to bring him back. He he is brilliant. He's he's absolutely brilliant. Um, kind of scary, uh, actually. <laughs> Uh, Indeed. Yeah. But uh, I, I think what's really 
what's really great about that is it encourages your gardeners, even if they're new, they're seeing a success right away. Well, what I loved being able to do is to take a picture of something and text it to him and say, Mike, what's this? And it was, it was fun to have an immediate response like that. You know, everybody needs a, what's this person in the, their life, you know? So you just, I, <laughs> I, I, I usually do that with my friends send me photographs of trees and um, they say, what's this? What should I be doing? And usually I fire it off to our buddy Skeet, who uh, I know is watching and say, hey, hey, Skeet, would you identify? He's from uh, our, our, our sponsor, Bartlett Tree Experts, and uh, he'll he'll give me an answer. Um, and uh, it, it's great to have a what's this person in your life. Um, uh, Kyla, how did uh, how did things go in, in your yard with the uh, with the different weather conditions? Well, overall, I, I think, as I told you before, I, I'd say it was a success. I mean, I think I kind of um, managed my expectations just given how, like I said, we were kind of going back and forth between, you know, torrential rain and then drought. Um, it was very uneven water. So I think one of the things that, that helped save us is that we had a number of things that we planted that were uh, – that we harvested earlier in the season when, when we still were getting a lot of the rain. So a lot of our uh, lettuces and leafy vegetables, as well as even our the garlic that we planted, that requires a lot of rain up, uh, or water up front. But that was out by midsummer. So we were able to kind of get that out and then replant some other things uh, during, during sort of that uh, – that drier time speaking speaking of the drier time how did your rain garden hold up during the the dry period it held up uh, actually amazingly and this i think this is a testament going back to even the native perennials is Mm -hmm. so the rain garden plants most of those got put in last year i'd say last spring so spring of 2020 and those plants already even just in the the year you can tell that they've they their root system has really penetrated deeper down in the ground, and although they they prefer to have moist or wet soils, they are all also tolerant of when it's dry. So, pretty much, I mean, anything that was in our rain garden, like they were doing very well with minimal additional watering, you know, from, from us and, and the rain barrels too, I, I was going to say, I think re- really helped us during the drought periods, really pulling from those. Cause I think at this point we ha- we're storing, uh, we could store up to about 300 gallons of water wow. amongst our different rain barrels. Yeah. So your rain barrels real- are amazing and you're all, you painted them all silver. Uh, so they, they match or did you get them like that? No. Oh no. They we didn't, we didn't paint them. That's just kind of how they, Oh, how okay. They I'm but, used to um, I'm used to more colorful uh, rain barrels, but they yeah, they the look great. Look or the green, yeah. Yeah, um, I need to get to uh, Renee here uh, before we go because uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you, Renee, you grow a lot of vegetables there. What vegetables are you growing that you would recommend to people and say, how come you're not growing this thing? You must uh, uh, experiment a lot with uh, different kinds of vegetables. Yeah. Um, I think probably the most useful thing, if you just have a small area, is to grow herbs. Herbs add a lot of flavor to food, and they continue to grow. So, you know, almost the more you harvest them, the more prolific they are um, and the more bushy they get. Um, I really like to grow carrots and beets. Um, 
we did celery this year and that is another one where you can harvest it pretty harshly and it just keeps uh growing you know right back with carrots and beets when you pull them up they're they're done um but if you can kind of have things that will last you know throughout the season and come back uh that's i think what it's going to serve your kitchen better in the long term yeah what what more exotic vegetables would you say you're growing um, we did parsnips. Uh, we did Japanese eggplant. Um, I have some different varieties of kale that were kind of interesting. We have a really nice uh, red cabbage. Uh, we did some heirloom tomatoes uh, that were a little bit different than anything I'd grown before. Uh, and I have quite a few different varieties of peppers. I have a watermelon pepper that I got from a farmer huh. in Fairbury, Illinois. I uh, save the seeds from some peppers. What 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 is a watermelon pepper? It, it kind of tastes like a watermelon. It has a, a fairly mild to medium spice huh. level, um, and it's just uh, pretty little. It's, it looks like a habanero, but it's red in color, and it it really tastes like a watermelon. Well, <laughs> but you don't want to. Well, one one of the things I want to say is you don't want to confuse a habanero and a watermelon pepper. That would be a disaster. <laughs> No, these are red, and you can really just, like, pop them in your mouth. <laughs> wow. Um, okay, well, we're just about out of time. Um, uh, final words uh, from uh, anybody. I know uh, you guys have uh, have really been uh, entertaining and uh, um, informative uh, this morning. Uh, Thank you so much for creating the wonderful videos and sharing them. I, I wish we would have had a chance to show uh, one of the, some of the other videos, Kyla, but I, you're just flat out of time here uh, because I, and I knew we would have uh, a lot to talk about. Um, what are your thoughts uh, going into uh, uh, 2022? Um, anybody? We, uh, the aforementioned Mike was on site yesterday helping close up our gardens um, what we're doing since we, we wound up using pine for the boxes as opposed to cedar or some other longer term wood heading into this next season, uh, he and his crew are out doing some linseed oil application for us, which was very helpful. Um, half of them have been covered and prepped for winter. Uh, our season is going to end abruptly at the very end of October. So he'll be back one more time. Wow. Uh, people were just obligated to trim things down uh, and get ready for covering. So we're, we're going to be going into next season, much as we did this time, um, with the expectation that we will actually have a season again. Um, but again, Mike, Mike and his people from Urban Habitat Chicago, which is a non-for-profit, wonderful organization, came out yesterday. I think he had a crew of several people with him Uh Beginning to cover up the garden. I imagine he brought a bunch of uh, MacArthur Genius Grant uh, friends that he has, and uh, <laughs> they were all working in your in your garden. Uh, Gene Arbetter, uh, thank you so much. Uh, uh, Vicky Rosich, Kyla Mohammed, Renee Lyles, uh, again, congratulations uh, on uh, uh, doing well in the Chicago Excellence in Gardening Awards 60-second garden video challenge, and... Thank you for the sign, Peggy. Um, and I hope uh, we get a chance to talk again on the show. Thank you Thank so you much. Thank you very much for having us. It, it was uh, indeed uh, our pleasure. It's the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Molecki. More to come. Please stick around. Hey, Vic Nakashima here at Bartlett Tree Experts. And today I'm out here in the field with Scott Anderson, certified arborist. 
Scott, what are we doing today? We are injecting ash trees to protect them from the emerald ash borer. The emerald ash borer was first found in the United States in 2002, accidentally brought over from Asia in woodpacking material. Since then, this pest has spread to nearly all native areas of its preferred host, the ash tree. All native ash are susceptible, and they can die within one to three years of the initial attack. The damage comes from the larvae, which hatch and bore through the bark into the sapwood. Then as they grow, they chew S-shaped galleries into the phloem and cambium, severely damaging the tree's vascular system. So how do you treat for such a pest? Well, today what we're doing is we're actually injecting the ash trees on this property. Uh, so we're actually drilling holes in around the root flare of the tree, setting a plug in there with a little diaphragm, and we actually fill those plugs with a material. That material goes up through the tree, and for two years at a time, it protects the tree from the emerald ash tree. You're actually drilling into the tree to put the material into the vascular system. Yep. The material we inject into the stem works its way up the tree and makes the tissue beneath the bark toxic for the ash borer without causing unintentional harm to pollinators and other wildlife. So the method of injecting, is there anything beneficial about that method? Yeah, so the material's only going into this tree. It's not gonna affect anything else around it. Um, whereas if you were spraying, you gotta watch wind and also what's around because you don't want the material you're spraying to affect beneficials or get onto you know, plants that aren't yours, could be your neighbors. Mm -hmm. um, or patio furniture. Patio furniture, anything. Kids, pets. Vegetable garden. Vegetable garden. All right, so that's it for now. I want to thank Scott for his time and telling us all about injecting ash trees to treat for the emerald ash borer. Welcome to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. Green, gardening, and environment radio with just a sipson of humor. Or is that a dash? Brought to you by Bartlett Tree Experts. Every tree needs a champion. Go to Bartlett.com. Here they are again, Peggy Malecki and Mike Novak. All I need is good food to eat and make me healthy, wealthy, wide awake. Lettuce, tomatoes, root of bacon. What about those sweet potatoes? All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good food to eat. All I need is good tools to make me music portrait. And welcome back to the Mike Novak Show with Peggy Malecki. I forgot to put up the other screen. That's because yeah, I was the just... little bottom boxes again. Yeah, the the what? The thing that says the Mike Novak Show with all right, the... right, right. I mean, I could do that now, but that uh, would be kind of annoying uh, to watch me set that up. <laughs> Uh, I, I suppose I could set it up uh, while while you're talking about uh, something uh, that Melinda Myers might be doing this yeah. Wednesday, and I hope I sent the right link to Rick. Um, I have it's been so long since I sent him that link, so we'll see if uh, uh, I got the right one out to him. I think I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, um, friend of the show, Melinda Myers. She's been on many, many times. She was on a couple of weeks ago talking about fall gardening. Um, she has a, you know, it's, it was actually more than a couple of weeks ago. I think it's like a couple of months ago. It's really amazing how, how the time is flying. She was, I think, I think it was beginning of September, if I'm not Sometime mistaken. Sometime in September. Yeah. 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 Um, and she does free webinars from time to time and she's got one coming up um, on kid and pet friendly houseplants. And uh, that's going to be coming up online. And um, 
I'm trying to get to that link at the moment so oh, that I, I can. I, okay, I've got give it. Give it to people much longer than the really, really, really long. Uh, what I'm going to have to do is link it. It is on October 20th at 6:30 p.m. Central Time, and this is an online webinar. And the description: You love them all, kids, pets, and houseplants. Discover ways to enjoy them all under one roof. Melinda will cover plants that are safe to grow when kids and pets are in the house. She'll share tips on safely displaying them out of reach of most pets and children. And then finish off the discussion with ideas for keeping your plants safe from curious, playful, and destructive pets. And again, this is a free webinar on October 20th at 6.30 p.m. You just need to go online and register for it on Zoom, and I will share that link. Cool. Um, yeah, and I, I'm, I'm amazed that uh, any pets, any kids survive this world, considering how many <laughs> how many. Well, points- it does say most. It does say most. So if you've got the pet that's able to get up to wherever you're hiding this plant. <laughs> well, see, I, I, I've never had to worry about that with my little kitty. Yeah. And uh, she's yep. just. Or Basil. Never, or, yeah. My dog doesn't get in there. So, knock on, knock on wood yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. But, uh, you know, she knows her stuff. And the great thing about Melinda, uh, as she mentioned last time she was on the show, is she'll stick around as long as people are, are asking questions. Um, I'll bet uh, Dan Costa, who's watching, has some tips about growing indoor plants. Um, how, how do you keep uh, cats out of your bonsai, Dan? That's what I, I w- would really uh, like to know. Why? But, do you get cats in your bonsai plants? Well, no, I'm just saying cats tend to tip stuff over, digging stuff. Yeah. I mean, and if you had a bonsai and, and you'd been... Uh, uh, pruning it uh, for for years, tending to it, uh, you know, and it's your it's your art, it's your life, and then the cat tips it over. Yeah, it's just wow. Um, no, I just I just I just wondered what if, if you... exactly. Wait, wait. It's not very loud here, but. Uh... Loud, loud enough, I, I guess. I think Dan's watching, so if he's got any comment on oh, keeping cats out of the bonsai. Or, hold on, keeping your... Your frog out of the bonsai as well. Or maybe encourage... Oh, Dan, he just wrote, when I had my cat, he didn't try to eat any bonsai. Well, that's good. And Glad Sue he- says there's an app for that. Oh, the birds! Oh, the bird sounds. Yeah, no, we we like we like doing it physically here. It's it's it, we're we're totally old school in our sound effects. Boy, that was weird. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um. There a bunch. Next. Of, yeah. Next thing in the news, uh, we want we we want to follow up on the Save Bell Bull Prairie issue because uh it's been an interesting couple of weeks since we talked about it on the show um in fact uh kathleen sent me a timeline and i think she yeah i've got that pulled up right now so um we did the show on october 2nd and talked to carrie lee and robbie q telfer about belbo yeah and i think uh let's start though where she said 
Northern Public Radio, we should give them credit because they sort of got the ball rolling. Um, but wait, um, what is it? I think we need to tell people who didn't watch that show what Bell Mole Prairie is. Yeah, no, no, no. We we will. It's it's a uh, uh, go, uh, go ahead. I can go ahead. There is a a website now that has been created um, that uh, you can go to Save Bell Bowl B E L L B O W L Prairie dot org. Save Bell Bowl Prairie. It's one of the uh, Last remaining prairies in Illinois, we used to be called the Prairie State, and now we have less than one one hundredth of one percent prairie. Yeah, in, dry in, gravel prairie, actually. Yeah, it's a it's um, a Category One Illinois know. Natural Areas Inventory Site. Um, that's a designation that's uh, granted by state biologists that reflects the site's very high ecological quality. It's some of the most intact and undisturbed natural plant communities found anywhere in the state of Illinois. And unfortunately, happens to be sandwiched between a couple of runways at Chicago Rockford International Airport. And so when... Uh, and it's in way of progress. Uh, well, well, yeah, whatever. Define uh, so, progress. So when yeah. Northern Public Radio uh, began covering this... Um, there wasn't a lot going on. Uh, there were a few people. I found out about it through Rob Telfer, who was on our show uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, uh, Carrie Lee from the Natural Land Institute. And uh, they they were aware of this, and a few people were, but uh, a great many people were not. Uh, and since that time, uh, this issue... it kind of popped up quickly, too. Yeah, this issue has taken off. Um because it's about saving one of the remaining prairies in Illinois. You know, we don't care really that it's sandwiched between two yeah. runways and that it would be convenient for the airport authority to bulldoze it. We don't care really. What we care about is saving the prairie. Um, right. And, and it's, uh, uh, it, it is, and it's a prairie remnant. It's, it, it's not a prairie restoration. It's a remnant. So it's all, Original prairie, original, you know, ecosystem, soil health, uh, plants, and uh, uh, among the threatened and endangered species seen at Belbol Prairie are the federally endangered rusty patch bumblebee, the state endangered prairie false dandelion, the state endangered large flowered penstemon, the state endangered loggerhead shrike the state-threatened black-billed cuckoo, the state-endangered northern harrier, the state-endangered upland sandpiper, um, uh, just uh, to name some mm -hmm. of the uh, flora yeah. and fauna that are on that site. And it's interesting, as more and more bird watchers and botanists and uh, citizen scientists and scientists and everybody have gotten involved, how many more as you're saying, endangered species are being identified as having a home on that prairie. Right. So uh, uh, conservationists, uh, ecologists, uh, environmentalists um, have, they've all jumped on their horses and they're, they're saying, we got to make this stop. This, mm -hmm. this, this has to stop. I don't know how in good conscience um, 
anybody could even entertain the notion of bulldozing it at this point, except that the bulldozers are sitting out there right now, ready to go. And, November 1st. And, and they've even, the airport has put up signs that says this is, you know, no trespassing or whatever they had. Uh, and it's, it's in anticipation of people, what, chaining themselves to lead plants or to rusty patched bumblebees mm-hmm. um, to stop this. Uh, interestingly, this week, Open Lands, a great conservation organization, had its annual luncheon, uh, which uh, Peggy and I have been to many times. Uh, I did not go this week um, just because still not interested in meeting in person. Uh, but um, uh, what happened, uh, they were honoring uh, Senator Dick Durbin. And in the middle of his speech, there was a protest uh, and a banner was marched across the balcony, Save Bell Bowl Prairie. And some people have said, well, that was inappropriate, and I'm, I'm stunned. I'm saying, no, that was absolutely appropriate. That was about the most – if you cannot preach to the choir when the choir is in session, when you had a couple of hundred or more um, uh, of the foremost environmentalists in the Midwest gathered in one, one place – if that is where you cannot get the word out, then there's something wrong. If they would not respond to the banner, yes, they were having lunch. Yes, Dick Durbin was speaking. That's why you do it at those times. That's why you do a protest is to be seen, not to to meekly fold your hands and sit on them <laughs> and, and wait until you're called upon to speak. No, I, I think it was probably it was brilliant. To, to go there and make that known, because now everybody knows, uh, at least cer- certainly in the environmental world, that uh, this is uh, uh, an issue that needs to be addressed right now. And so my sources tell me that there are talks going on uh, that involve some of the um, higher offices in the state and Dick Durbin as well. Um, I'm, I'm not privy to those conversations, so I can't tell you what uh, has been said and what is being discussed. I'd be surprised if something did not happen to at least postpone this. And, and, and the longer it's postponed, the less likely there is to be uh, bulldozing going on in the prairie, is what I would guess. But uh, things are happening Behind the scene, we are going to talk about this on the show. I hope maybe maybe next week, maybe in two weeks, um, because the deadline was November 1st, uh, from what I understand. And you can find out more about this just by going to org. It has all the information yeah. you need. There's some great links to um, a lot of information up there. Uh, Cassie Surrey has written some really good information about the prairie and prairies in general there's a facebook uh group that you can join as well that has Bald had Save bull prairie bell bell yeah. <laughs> bell bowl bowl prairie. prairie um it's created september 21st it has 2008 members 689 have joined this week and that was as of when kathleen sent us this this morning there's probably a lot more that have joined since that point um robbie q telfer i don't have the link but he did a great op-ed in the chicago tribune list past week that really is a is is well thought out, well done, and has some great points. 
Yeah, and well. Uh, well, I I posted it on our Facebook. Page yeah, I just so have it if right here to scroll. So, in uh, there is a uh, the next there's a meeting. Um, Tuesday, Tuesday, October nineteenth. It's six six o'clock p.m. A public meeting at the Burpee Museum, seven thirty seven North Main Street in Rockford. Um, and there's a Zoom link, and again, you can find all of this. Uh, at uh, savebellboldprairie.org. So lots going on in that regard. Uh, is it going to work? Is it going to help? Uh, I sure hope so. Um, and I'm going to make sure that we didn't miss yeah, there's any- There's an action alert. You can go to our website, mikenovak.net, um, and click through for the um, action alert um, letter to be sent to Governor Pritzker and several federal legislators and local legislators uh, from the Illinois Environmental Council. And we've got the, the link to that right up on our, our webpage. Okay. So I hope uh, people take action. What they're saying on the site is tell five people and have them tell five people. And you know how that works. And uh yeah, it's too too important, too critical of a habitat, too critical of everything, and yeah, too important to just let it go away. Yeah. So uh, a, a few other things uh, going on in the world. One of the things I, I noticed that I saw an article, I don't think I forwarded this to you, Peggy, but uh, GardenCom uh, was reporting on supply chain problems. Um, and, uh, they are also happening in the, uh, horticultural world. You know, um, you've, you can't miss the stories now out there about supply chain problems. And sooner or later, you're going to go try to order something or go to a store, try to pick something up and you're going to realize it's not there. Uh, because of the uh, the issues sitting on a container ship somewhere off yeah. of Los Angeles, and uh, there was a uh, a question in Greenhouse Growers 2021 State of the Industry Survey, uh, and they were highlighting concerns uh, in the wake of COVID nineteen. The question posed was, "What are the top issues your company is facing?" now that local economies have opened back up. Nearly 70% of respondents Hmm. cited supply chain disruptions, even more than labor shortages, which uh, they write here in any other year would likely have been the top concern. So, uh, um, and uh, another question was, how did the COVID-19 pandemic affect your spring 2021 sales? And again, again, it's in the horticultural industry. Um, it's some people said sales were stronger earlier this year because some customers missed the boat in 2019. I think they meant 2020. They didn't want to miss out on certain plants and came in earlier to make their purchases. Um, somebody said we could not grow as planned because we could not find the labor to help in production. We only had enough labor to maintain sales. Uh, uh, somebody else said, I can't say for sure, but we were up 35% last year and now we are up another 5%. So I think this is still a result of all the new gardeners and, you know, that, that's still happening because of the pandemic. Um, 
another comment, we were not able to get items delivered to us from suppliers. No ships, no drivers, etc. So it's interesting uh, hearing those things in the uh, horticultural world as well. Rippling through everything. Yeah, everything's connected. Um, you um, you called my attention to an article, which I saw, which is, uh, uh, we might bring up with Rick, that Lake Superior is among the fastest warming lakes on the planet. And that climate change may be the culprit behind its algae blooms. Well, the fact that uh, Lake Actually, Superior... Actually, before we get to that real quick, Dan Costa just point, pointed out, pottery importation is severely affected. Can't get any bonsai pots till at least January. Wow. See, I figured Dan would have something to uh, uh, have something to say uh, about that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, getting back to Lake Superior, do you have that uh, that story up? Yeah, this is um, in the Chicago Tribune. This this was posted this week, um, October fifteenth, and you know you read the headline: Lake Superior is among the fastest warming lakes on the planet, and climate change culprit behind its algae blooms. Um, so Lake Superior being a cold, deep lake, freshwater lake, obviously, um, first off has had warmer temperatures, and, and I'm sure Rick will be talking about that again today. But what they are running up into is algae blooms on Lake Superior happening fairly regularly. You know, we hear about the algae blooms in Lake Erie, which in the last few years have been quite severe. I think there was three days where residents um, – some of the residents around Lake Erie couldn't even use the water. There's been fish die off. And so much of that has come from farm runoff and other conditions. And what is puzzling scientists, according to this article, is that um, Lake Superior started reporting algae blooms in 2012, but they're growing. There's more and more of these blooms in areas where there is no runoff. And they're trying to figure out where is this coming from? Hmm. And, um, there was a typically these blooms they've been seeing since 2012 have had no serious levels of toxins confirmed. And the article says that changed last month when a bloom near Superior, Wisconsin, had left a beach's water streaky green and contained a toxin more potent than cyanide just beyond the level set for safe swimming set by gotcha. the USE. And they're starting to see more and more of these toxic blooms just popping up and they're trying to figure out, and it seems to be tied into some of the um, cycles of rain and some of the cycles of heat. And it's just, it's a really long article, but it's, it's got scientists concerned and um, kind of confused right now. We'll have to see if uh, Rick has been aware of that. And then, then I saw something come across an inside climate oh, news. That link. Okay. That's a good one. Uh, Inside Climate News writes, in the native language of the people of Alaska's North Slope, and I, oh boy, and I'm going to have to try to pronounce this, Saga Van Nurktok. Saga Van Nurktok means strong current. But to managers of the Trans-Alaska Pipeline, the Savagnanik Nurktok River means a growing flood threat to the pipeline that pulses with an average of 20 million gallons of crude oil a day from Prudhoe Bay. Increasing rain and snowmelt at the headwaters of the Sag River 
which parallels the pipeline for 67 miles in northern Alaska's Brooks Range, has pipeline officials seeking permission from the state to construct massive flood control barriers to protect the pipeline from the river surges. The mitigation work foreshadows what scientists, pipeline consultants, and environmental advocates say is a future where infrastructure like the Trans-Alaska Pipeline will face increasing threats from climate change-generated assaults. Now, think about that. If they're going to be putting up these barriers, there are the bulldozers again. What kind of uh, damage can they do to ecosystems up along the pipeline that hasn't already been done by construction of the pipeline? Mm -hmm. And then also this week, and kind of related, uh, dozens of indigenous climate activists were arrested and removed from the U.S. Department of the Interior in Washington on Thursday after taking over a lobby of the department's Bureau of Indian Affairs for several hours. The protests were part of a week of indigenous-led demonstrations in which activists called on President Biden to declare a national climate emergency and stop approving fossil fuel projects such as the Line 3 pipeline that was recently completed in Minnesota despite fierce opposition by indigenous communities. Yeah, and and tied into Line 3, which is Enbridge, Line 5, which is the one that runs under the Straits of Mackinac, mm-hmm. um, that's in the news. Um, Canada, at the urging of Enbridge, repeatedly called on uh, a court to delay any decision on the case of Line 5. Um, as we've talked about before, and we probably will again, um, Governor Whitmer in Michigan issued a shutdown order for the pipeline. Enbridge sued Michigan in federal court in an effort to keep its Line 5 oil pipeline flowing in the Great Lakes. Enbridge recently got the Canadian government to invoke a, 19, a 1977 pipeline treaty. Um, yet this week, Judge Janet Neff essentially told Enbridge and Canada to back off, saying, quote, this court does not rule via letter requests. So huh. the judge has to decide if she's going to let the case proceed in federal court or send it back to the state court at this point. So there's a lot going on with, with uh, pipelines right now. And I think the California oil spill... Um, has again escalated the importance of well, dealing with as as we've said on the show, and we're not the only ones, obviously, to say this. If you build a pipeline, it will leak. It's it's just a matter a, of time. It's a, it's a fact. Um, yeah. and, and that's that was California one for sure. And yeah. speaking of pipelines and supply chain disruptions and increased demand is going to result are going to result in the price of natural gas uh, and uh, in our area, uh, in much of the country, as a matter of mm-hmm. fact, this winter, there uh, some folks are expecting it to triple, hitting a 13-year high. So you thought, remember how, uh, you know, it's the bridge to the future. It's the bridge to clean energy. And it's the great news is it's cheap. Well, folks, it's not cheap anymore. It's not cheap right now, or it's not going to be. It's already the prices have started to go up in Illinois, um, and it's going to hit. Um, uh, You're folks. saying 35%? Well, in, in October, natural in October, natural gas prices were up 198% at People's Gas. That's mine. Yay. Can't wait to pay. 
um, 125% at NICOR and 91% at North Shore Gas over the same month last year, according to the Citizens Utility Board. Um, it's going to be a very expensive winter, says David Collada, Executive Director of the Citizens Utility Board. Um, and uh, and again, it's, it's a combination of... of all those things, uh, natural gas prices have been spiking globally, with industry analysts pointing to a number of factors, including growing use. It's growing use as a cleaner fuel for electrical power plants, uh, increased demand, supply disruption, and the February cold snap in the U.S. also contributed to surging prices. So apparently we're still feeling the effects of that cold snap we had at the beginning of 2021. So, well, we got any more bundle good news? <laughs> yeah, bundle up. Exactly. In fact, I'm going to be back. When, when we come back, I'm going to have a jacket on because I am freezing to death right here. I, I can't. This is the first time. No, my windows, my windows open. I'm going, hmm. It's the first time I've been able to say that in a long time uh, this summer. So uh, we, we well, need to. But before we go into yes. the break. Yes. um Two things that we need to clarify. One, Rick texted and wants to know if you can see him. Oh, let me take a look. I was a little concerned. While you're doing that, Uh um, again, to clarify, we've got the spot that we're running for McHenry County College's Green Expo. Yep. um, That is virtual this year. Kim Hankins is going to be on the show coming up on the 24th next week to talk about it. And just let folks know it's virtual. You can go online and register. Because the the spot makes it seem like it's in person, but they decided, again, with COVID precautions to go virtual. But there's going to be all sorts of great discussions and workshops and things. And sorry, folks, I'm texting Rick, so just kind of like sing along. Yeah, okay. So why don't... <laughs> Live radio at its best. <laughs> uh, it's, been, it's been that kind of a day, hasn't it? Anyway, so, all right. All right, I'm going to do that. Uh, and we're going Exactly. Where's my... Uh... <laughs> Oh, we can do that. I mean, I I do have have con- control of that if 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 we need to. Okay, Rick says he's on a different link. Uh, okay, yeah, I have to. What do you mean he's on a different link? What does he mean by he that? He says he's on, but a different link. So maybe you see him somewhere. Okay, I'm going to look and see if I see Rick and. Uh, uh, I better pop up this, and we'll do this. We'll be right back, and I hope with the meteorologist, Rick DeMiles. Please stick around. I'm a physician. I am a nurse. I'm a nurse, too, but I'm also a daughter. That's why I got the COVID-19 vaccine. I got it because I'm a son and a husband. I got it to protect my community. It's been proven to be extremely effective against the spread of the virus. It's been more rigorously tested than any vaccine in history to make sure it's safe. When we get it, We protect ourselves and our community. It's your choice. If you have questions, find out more. You can help slow climate change in 2021 by composting. And you don't even need a backyard. By composting communally in multi-unit buildings across Chicagoland, Collective Resource Compost has diverted 7,000 tons of food scraps since 2010. CRC brings you a fresh 5-gallon bucket or a 32-gallon neighbor tote with each pickup. You fill it with organic matter, they swap it out, and get it to a commercial composting operation. 
fight climate change. Go to collectiveresource.us. This, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to play uh, a little video here. Give me a chance to tap dance. Uh, well, Mark the, is singing along in, in chat here. So This is a, the video that, uh, that we had from uh, Kyla Muhammad uh, and her uh, uh, lovely garden from uh, Conservation at Home. Uh, they put this together, which we didn't get a chance to play before. It will give me a chance to figure out what I need to send to Rick. So everybody, enjoy. In the last year and a half, Kyla and Rashid Muhammad have transformed their yard into a conservation at home certified sustainable and edible landscape. They replaced most of their lawn with edible, medicinal, or native plants that feed their family. Some of the beautiful berries are coming in. Provide habitat and nourishment for birds, bees, and butterflies. We put in roughly 50 different plants over there that really pollinators love. Or help them deal with frequent flooding on their property. The reason that we did the rain garden right here in this location is that we get a lot of water um, on our property. It's kind of been an ongoing issue because we're kind of the low spot in the neighborhood. Kyla and Rashid also have several rain barrels, two rain gardens, and a French drain system that helps them manage and conserve storm water and the water runs along this whole trench, along the whole back line of the property. We have elderberry, we have a lot of other native plants that take advantage of this water when it's high. It's a little intangible, like the benefits of growing and eating your own food. It just always tastes better when it's coming from your own garden or your own yard. So there's that benefit, but then also too, planting native plants or plants that are great for pollinators and, and wildlife is super important too. You know, the, the ecosystem doesn't exist in a bubble. Everything is all connected. I think there's a lot of opportunities for us to use the, our, our yard or our garden space to feed ourselves and nourish ourselves as well as nourish the ecosystem and the wildlife. Turfgrass alone doesn't really allow for that. Not even two years into the project, they are already reaping the rewards of fresh fruits, vegetables and herbs, as well as a parade of wildlife through their gardens. You know, we've become bird watchers even though we can't recognize a lot of them yet. But I think, you know, it's, it's already been a great journey watching and discovering new birds and learning about them um, and, and whatnot. And so I look forward to discovering all the things I don't yet know. And, um, meeting all the the wildlife and things that I don't yet know. Kyla and Rashid show us that our yards can do more for the environment, wildlife, and our family. And look who is here. Wow. This <laughs> that's what I just needed a couple of minutes. Let's make sure I got his mic on. I got to find that. I don't think it's on. Oh, it is on. Uh, Rick, can you hear us? Rick. I can hear you fine, guys. Fantastic. Wow. Yeah. Where are you? What technology allows you to do once you get it going right? Yeah, it is uh, amazing. I'm going to have, I'm going to keep that link in a special spot where if you uh, find you're without it, I can just fire it off. I had to go searching through uh my emails to find the uh, the email where i sent you that link like you know eight months ago so uh but but we're good we're good to go 
as long as you don't freeze too much. All right. So where no, are you? I'm not going to freeze. Uh, um, it's not that one cold. One of our favorite golf courses. Yeah. Uh, we're on the pole of Canal Shores Golf Course. Oh. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, see it. And yeah, there, walking and there's jet. my trusty companion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He found himself a golf ball. And, and, He's having a good old time yeah. there. Uh, so, oh, yeah. Well, we try to get out here as well because it's one of the best places to observe nature, nice and quiet. And um, he'll always manage to find himself a Titleist. And when he does, he doesn't let go of it for a while. <laughs> Is that his <laughs> golf ball of preference? You know what? Anyone that he finds is the golf ball of preference at that time, but uh, it's usually a Titleist. Yeah, it's the number one. It's the number one ball on the on um, on the Pro Tour, right? Yep. So, is that the number I'm... one lost golf ball? <laughs> well, Peg, <laughs> if you if you've ever played Canal Shores Golf Course, it's the number one lost ball. <laughs> it's just... It's especially during this time of the year because the leaves are out and it's really tough once you once you hit it left or right of the fairway to find it. Uh, but I just got to make sure that go- that Jax doesn't pick up the golf ball that some some older gentleman's about to hit. Come on, Jax, this way. So, <laughs> hey, so how are you guys doing? Uh, okay, what a uh, what a change in uh, from last week in terms of humidity, in terms of temperature. It's it's fall finally. Yeah. You know, and, and we were talking about this, how this coming weekend was really going to be, you know, quite the transition. Um, and all of a sudden it's the, what, 16th of October, where midway through climatological fall. Um, and on top of that, uh, we've recovered quite a bit in the rainfall department. I was just looking at the, you know, up to, you know, preliminary climate report data through the first half of the month of October. Uh, for O'Hare, we're at 2.51 inches of rain. We're actually four-tenths of an inch of rain above normal. Rockford is at 3.2 inches wow. of rain for the month. Yeah, it's it's it, we've gotten some pretty decent rains. And, Mike, eventually when you go through the maps, you can show the listeners and viewers those, those numbers. That departure above normal temperature-wise, we're 10 degrees above normal for O'Hare and 12 and a half for Rockford, but it's really the overnight lows. Overnight lows have been about 14 to 15 degrees above normal for, for both stations, which I've, I don't think I've ever seen before from a standpoint of warmth for the month of October. Um, and part of that is due to the fact that we've been really, really humid. The humid air mass that got here pretty much at the end of, or the humid pattern rather, that got here at the end of July, stayed with us through the month of August. And forced us to run our air conditioners as, as much as possible to make us comfortable, uh, stayed with us through September, um, and then also through half the month of October as well. So um, I believe this is the uh, seven-day rainfall totals map, and it shows pretty much three to four inches of, of rain that came down from Kansas through Missouri into western Illinois. Uh, again, that area is the part that didn't need the rain, but they got it. Um, and you look at up here in northern Illinois, and we average anywhere between about an inch and a half uh, and two inches of rain. And what's really remarkable is I always like to, to talk about how well forecast models t- these days, uh, you know, perform. And it, it's really important as a meteorologist and a climatologist to always make sure that what you're looking at is got a pretty good track record. 
um, and and the pattern has been somewhat, you know, easy to predict. So when you look at the forecast model that we used last week, I always like to show my students the difference between an analysis and a forecast. But if you look at the next map, which is the forecast model, um, it shows that this this kind of worked out pretty well. I mean, we had forecasted, or not we had forecasted, but several forecast models showed anywhere between about, you know, an inch and a half of two inches of rain across northern Illinois, about two mm -hmm. to three inches from Kansas into Missouri. Uh, it showed that dry wedge across northern Iowa into Minnesota and northern areas of Wisconsin. Uh, but this was, again, if you look at the way the rain came down, uh, it came down from a southwest to northeast flow pattern, which was indicative of the upper level flow and also indicative of the fact that we had, you know, strong southerly winds. I think a couple of days this week, we had overnight low temperatures in the upper 60s and dew points in the mid to upper 60s. And I think that's one of the reasons why uh, the grass looks about as green as it has almost literally all summer long. Uh, two reasons for that. We've gotten decent rains, um, which is obviously something that grass likes. It's been somewhat sunny on the days that it hasn't rained, but we've also had a, a fair amount of high levels of humidity, which allows things to not dry out. So the evaporation rate has been really, really low over the last two or three weeks. And, you know, uh, maybe this could help out with some of the fall foliage here as we get into the peak of the season over the next two weeks. Um, you know, last week, yeah, last week when I was up in Wisconsin, it didn't look that good. Hopefully it'll do, it'll do something different down here, uh, yeah. in Northern Illinois. You know, I, I, uh, before we leave the, the rain map, actually I'll, I'll pop, uh, you back up here for a second. Uh, a couple of things, uh, in my yard on Monday, I got an inch and a half of rain. And then, yeah, uh, yeah, two, then yeah. two days later I got another half inch. So I got two inches of rain this week and my basement backed up again it it flooded um and i think it had you know and my neighbors did not so uh there's something going on in in my basement that i i need to address but that was still a lot of rain and we didn't even notice that it had backed up into the basement until two days later when it had already receded but then we got the half inch and it backed up again i went well a base a basement should not back up with half an inch of rain yeah. So there's something yeah, and weird. Yeah, I got a couple of inches of rain here in Lake County too, which yeah. Is good. And, and and the other thing about the the lawns and the grass you're talking about, Rick, in addition to the moisture and the humidity, um, cooler temperatures. Uh, even though we were in oh, yeah. the 70s, that's not that's not 90s. You know, when you hit 90s, uh, our cool season right. lawns do not like that. Oh, yeah. So yeah. they do well. The cool, that's why they call them cool season grasses because they do well in the spring yeah. and they do well in the fall. And right now, yeah, they're, they're, they're loving it. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost thinking this is what it must be like, like, you know, during the, um, the, the early part of the summer and the late part of the summer is like in Seattle where, you know, it's cool and it's wet and everything is green as opposed to the dryness and the drought that they had experienced earlier. But yeah, everything's lush. I think you really nailed it there, Peg. I mean, I, I, I think these last two weeks have some have been some of the nicest, um, you know, weeks that I've ever experienced from a standpoint of late season warmth and just the right amount of rain at the right amount of time. Yeah. Uh, and, so okay, so we'll then I'm sitting here looking at buoy data. Wilmette buoy, 63.3. Oh. It was 66.7 last Sunday, and it, here we are at 63.3. 
Yeah, and it was amazing, Peg, because I was at a um, – Rebecca's son, Zach, is on the sailing uh, club for Marquette University, and we were at a regatta yesterday at Northwestern. There were 10 schools there. Um, there was University of Michigan, Minnesota, UW. Uh, there was Northwestern. I think there was Purdue. I forget the other schools that were there. But uh, some of the students were talking about how – you know, you have to push your boat out into the water in Lake Michigan. Other lakes, you just kind of jump on it from a dock. And they were they were talking about the water was warmer than the air temperature. So we had temperatures in the, you know, the low 50s at the start of the race and strong northwest winds of 20 to 25 miles per hour. But the lake was like 63 degrees. And again, uh, over this week, there were people still doing their 6 o'clock swim, although it was probably a little bit dark at that point, but still doing their 6 o'clock swim. Um, in Lake Michigan, and it's amazing. Uh, I was looking at clouds across northern part of Lake Superior, uh, and they mm-hmm. were producing significant amounts of lake effect rain. So because the lakes are so warm, the cold weather that we had, which typically just produces clouds, was actually producing lake effect rain showers. So I think that was kind of neat to be able to see how warm lake the produce some form of precipitation but obviously in the form and not and not snow a little bit too snow yeah i'm uh um i might ask you when you hit a spot where you're we're nice and clear i might ask you to just stand for a couple of minutes uh because as you move around we we tend to lose a little bit of the signal i want to show you by the way i, I popped up the seven day rainfall this is a, a nationwide you you sent me this map yeah and, and it looks like there was quite a bit of activity in the, the Dakotas and in eastern Montana. Yeah, that, that was the storm that came out of the Pacific Northwest last week, um, and it stalled, and it produced more so in the way of snow than rain. Uh, but some of the maps also that I sent you uh, showed you significant amounts of snowfall in Montana and Wyoming. And the Black Hills got almost two feet of snow. I don't think they did it because about a day before that, they just had like winter weather advisories and they went up to winter storm warnings and then blizzard warnings. Um, and there was some significant tree damage in the areas of the Black Hills, which they'll get every once in a while. Uh, but that map that you're showing right now uh, basically shows a large area of 15 to 20 inches of snow. But what's really important about this is it was a real heavy wet snow uh, was anywhere between about an inch and a half to two inches of liquid. So this was one of the more significant precipitation or the Black Hills, uh, parts of North Dakota, but more so in areas of northern Montana or northern Wyoming uh, and Montana. And this is one of the ski resorts. I think it's just north of what the area is called Cheyenne Crossing. Uh, and it's really remarkable because it literally went from green to brown to white <laughs> in in a matter of about two days. And it'll go back to this. It'll all melt probably by the time we get today, if not today. But look at the mountains in Wyoming, in um, Montana. Uh, this is Big Sky, Montana. This is about an hour west of Yellowstone. Um, and this is one of the more popular ski resorts that people like to go to early in the year because typically the roads are still fairly open. You don't really have to drive that far to the mountains. And they got uh, about 20 inches of snow. Uh, and other areas in parts of Colorado, Loveland Pass, part of the Tetons as well, uh, they got an additional uh, one to two feet of snow. So oftentimes you'll hear in the news, there is snow in the Rockies. This is kind of normal for them. Uh, but again, when they get snow this early in the year, this is very, very beneficial 
because it's usually wet. The ground is usually uh, more impervious so that snow will actually melt and get down into the uh, topsoil. So anytime you get early season snowfall where the ground isn't cold or the snow basically evaporates back down into the atmosphere, this is really, really good news. So this is also excellent because it'll actually suppress any sort of late season wildfires in parts of Colorado, Wyoming, Utah, Idaho, and Montana. So when you get this much snow this early, uh, it's beneficial in many, many. But let's pop in the uh, six to 10 uh, day precipitation outlook if you're there. Yeah, yeah, I can see it. Um, so pretty much what you, you see right here is the back edge of what's going to be our pattern next week, uh, which is going to go back to being uh, dry again, but not warm. I think our warm weather is going to be with us uh, literally Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And then after it cools down a little bit, it's going to go back to being dry. But you can almost see there's like a real deep trough that's going to develop along the West Coast, produce huge amounts of precipitation and snow. Uh, in the mountains from California northward, uh, and then very, very dry weather from the northern plains uh, back into the Midwest. So this is going to be one of those events that you typically get in the middle to late part of October, where the pattern just kind of gets stuck for about a week or two before it begins to develop into more of a winter pattern, which is still obviously a, you know a month, another month and a half away at this point. Yeah, and uh, here are the uh, six to 10 day temperatures. Uh, it looks like we're kind of in the normal range yeah and basically what this shows you here um is for us here in the midwest we're pretty much going to be in that in that period of where you're going to be pretty much in temperature ranges like mid 60s for the afternoon overnight lows in the low 40s and again that's normal for this time of the year it's one of these things where once you get into the middle of october and you start to get highs in the upper 50s highs in the lower 60s that's kind of expected uh, but the bottom line is it still goes back to being above normal temperature wise in the middle part of the country. That's only because it gets stormy out west. So, again, we're still going to see a period of warmer weather here, even though it's cooled off a little bit today. Much of the week, though, temperature is averaging above normal. And uh, here's the jet stream for today. And we can c compare that to what's going to happen next week. Yeah, so there's a jet stream actually for um, uh, for October 17th, which is today, and it shows you this real strong push of dry northwesterly flow into uh, the middle of the Great Lakes and all the way down into the southeast. So they're finally getting their cool weather. Um, and then you look at the next map, and all it really does is it kind of takes that ridge, pokes it up into central Canada, so the northeast stays basically cool and dry, that huge trough that develops across Southern California is going to bring another potent area of low pressure and much, much more onshore flow. And anytime you get onshore flow this time of year in that area, um, you'll get some pretty decent rains. So it looks like they're going to get some very, very, again, beneficial rain to parts of uh, California, uh, Northern California this week. And by the end of next weekend or into early next week is when the rains are going to hit into Southern California. The good news, Mike and Peg, is they had some rains last week in Southern California, about an inch, about an inch and a half. And what that does is it kind of compacts the soil. So even though you've had some dry weather in that area and some wildfires, the soil is compacted. So even if you do get another heavy rain event that comes in, it's not like you have this real dry soil that becomes, you know, somewhat liquefied and you get these mudslides. So I don't see that happening. 
so the way the pattern is setting up, if you can get cyclical rains this time of the year, not only does it suppress the wildfires, it wets mm -hmm. the soil down, compacts it, and in addition to that, uh, eliminates any possibility for widespread mudslides. So not only are we talking about weather and climate here, but you're also talking about the impact of what happens um, at the end of a fire season. We're really kind of only getting, getting into the beginning of the fire season, but I think there's going to be a, a fairly early end to the fire season this year due to the fact that the pattern's becoming a little bit more uh, wetter and a little bit more cooler across the pack northwest into California. All right. Before we get to a forecast here, one thing you wrote, is it too early to talk about what's going to happen this winter? Well, you, there are a couple of maps here you sent me that I think folks will find interesting. This is uh, an El Nino uh, winter, and uh, and then we'll pop up the La Nina winter as well. So in El Nino here, what, what happens? So typically with El Nino, what, what occurs is you get a warming of the ocean waters from about the Dateline uh, to about western South America from about 5 degrees north to about 15 degrees south. And even if you're just 2 to 3 degrees above normal, that produces rising motion. Uh, it produces a much more convective nature to the equatorial Pacific. And as it does so, it puts a squeeze on the subtropical jet stream. And when a subtropical jet stream becomes a little bit more enhanced, obviously it has a better, uh, it becomes a more of, of a more efficient conduit from pulling in moisture off the Pacific Ocean. And because it's angled perpendicular into the mountains of Southern California, you generally tend to get wet um, and then more active storms across the Gulf Coast. Um, so that's not what's going to happen this year. What's going to happen this year is a more La Nina event. Um, and again, you can share those other graphics with the viewers if you want. But the waters of the Pacific Ocean have cooled off quite a bit from the equatorial region, from the Dateline over to um, South America. So what that does is if it's cooler there, it relaxes the equatorial jet stream, and then the polar jet stream becomes more active. If that does occur, and if you also have the type of pattern that you can actually get some form of a link to the polar jet stream across North America, what will eventually occur is you'll have a better chance of getting some of these storms that move in from the northern plains to be more active, to have more moisture, to have more temperature contrast, and typically that leads to more snow and some more cold. So El Nino Ninas, only when they're really strong, become a direct impact on our weather here in the Midwest. This is probably pretty close to about a seven and a half. But it's just that will, that will do. There's a couple of other factors that need to become involved. Um, and right now, if the, if the North Pacific jet stream be highly active with late season typhoons, we could be in for a rip-roaring ride in the month of November. I don't see that occurring at this point. So you almost have to go back and look at past events, you know, from a, from a two or three month standpoint to really get a handle on what the winter outlook is going to be. And I think I'll probably be more prepared to talk about that next week. Hard to do that on a golf course at this point. <laughs> Especially when the weather's so nice. And uh, just stay right there. Don't move. Uh, let's let's do a forecast, and then uh, I can let you go. Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I think it's important to note that over the next two weeks is usually when we begin to see climatologically our first frost. Um, I don't yeah. know if you shared this during your show earlier, but we had temperatures in the mid-30s. Joliet Airport hit 36, 36. Gohair, 42, and the lakefront was like 45. You know, that's normal uh, for this time of the year for those areas in the western suburbs to get into your, 
you know, mid thirties, but I do think we only have like maybe one chance next week, which would be either Friday or Sunday that we could have a frost or a freeze outside of that. The next two weeks, I don't see anything like that happening. So we may be putting or pushing rather our first frost or freeze until maybe Halloween. Um, and if that system gets really, really energized in the desert Southwest, you can probably push that maybe into the first week of November. So bottom line, beautiful today, sunshine, 65 for high today. This is about as good as it gets for October. I mean, this is just perfect, which is why I'm out here and not inside. Um, <laughs> but low, low 70s, get that low 70s for tomorrow, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Yeah, it's amazing weather, Peg. Low 70s, overnight lows in the upper 40s, great sleeping weather, no heat on, no air conditioning. Uh, and then the next chance of rain, probably not until Wednesday night into Thursday. And even Thursday and Friday, we'll have highs in the upper 50s and near 60s, which is okay. And you know what's what, what's interesting? Even if we get one of those systems where you get a wind off the lake, because the lake is so warm, uh, you don't really get a, you know, a cold lake breeze. So if we can get into at least the third week of October, still feeling somewhat September-like, um, again, that's bonus weather. I, I love every minute of it. Get outside. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's where I am. Yeah. And okay. as I and as I say that, um, can I can I give like an update for these guys hitting on the ninth hole? Can I do a little yeah, bit of Ken Venture? Sure. Can Jacks sure. uh, find their <laughs> their golf balls yet? Oh yeah, oh yeah. He's he's right here. He's no, right do here. do do your uh, Sir Nick Faldo. Okay, that's what I want. <laughs> My goodness, he hit that too far. <laughs> Boy, he's in the rough. He's really gonna have a hard time coming out of that. <laughs> Very yeah, nice. I think, I think I got to You need to whisper as you're doing that. Yeah, I, I, I actually got a little bit of a growl look from the guys up on the ninth hole. So I, <laughs> I better be quiet. <laughs> All right, with that, I'll, I'll say, I'll say, see you later, guys. I don't All know right. where I'm going to be next week, but, but October is, is where is Rick DeMaio week, right? Uh, I believe it's, yeah, it's, that's what it's been the whole, the whole time. So, all right, take care, Rick. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. See you guys. And I don't know why that did see that did that earlier today too. It's like I I I have no idea why why things are are happening like this where I just I, I do a transition. Yep, show the pumpkin. I'm gonna be carving pumpkins later on. Let's just get out of here, okay? Woo! We're out of here. We're out of here. I want to thank all of our great guests uh, who are on the show today. Um, that includes Renee Lyles from the UIC Nutrition Teaching Garden, Kyla Muhammad from her garden out in Bolingbrook, uh, Vicki Rosich and Jean Arbetter from Imperial Towers Community Garden, uh, meteorologist Rick DeMaio. want to thank uh, Kathleen uh, running around upstairs and bringing bad news downstairs. And, uh, and I want to thank our frogs and our birds. Yeah. And all of that. Until next time, go green or go home. Uh, Stadler? Yeah, what? Is that it? Yes, it's over. How'd you like it? I don't know. I slept through the whole thing. Well, you didn't miss much.